those who are wise. Don't be dumb. Don't be petty. Be wise. Live wisely. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly. Be thoughtful. This is a good time of year to be thoughtful. Should be thoughtful all year, but this is a good time to put a real focus on it. Think about what you do, what you say, how you relate to others. That's what wise people do. He says, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves and making music to the Lord in your hearts. And give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then we come to today's lesson beginning in verse 21. And further, in addition to all of this, To take it to the next level, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, two key words in that sentence. And it it really kind of sets up the rest of, of the passage here. And those two words are submit and reverence. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. The Greek word translated as submit is the word hupotassel. Kind of a cool word, hupotassel. Kind of sounds like lasso, hupotasso. It means to arrange things in order, in, in subordinate order. Literally, to put oneself under. It was, a, it was actually a Greek military term. And it referred to how they would set up all the battalions and all the soldiers in the infantry, infantry in fashion under the command of the leader. In non-military use, it means a voluntary attitude of giving in cooperating, assuming responsibility, and carrying a burden. The key word in that is voluntary. This is something you choose to do. Now, the Greek word translated as reverence is the word phobos. It's the word that we get phobia from. can mean fear. It's often translated as fear, as in fear of the Lord. Some of the translations you might be reading in this passage says, in fear of the Lord. So this verse would mean to voluntarily be subordinate to one another out of respect or fear or reverence for Christ. In other words, if you are someone who claims to be a Christ follower, your relationship to Christ is going to determine all of the other relationships in your life. You know, I talk about this often, right? If, if you get this one right, if you get the vertical right, everything else that you do will be good because this is pinned to this. If this is not right, this ain't going to be right. Work on this one first. Now, I preached on this passage of Scripture a couple of years ago, and um, nothing's changed. I looked at it, nothing, it was the same Bible, same words, so I'm going to borrow from that. Paul gets very specific, so he sets out this broad thing, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, submit to one another. So who has to submit? Everybody to everybody. Then he gets specific, and this is a difficult passage of scripture these days, for wives This means submit to your husband as to the Lord. 
not very flavorful today. It doesn't leave a good taste in the mouth when you say that these days. So the, the question that we need to ask ourselves, what is it about submission that we find so distasteful? It's the abuse of authority. As a race, we humans have a terrible track record of abusing authority. And, and the, the greater your authority, typically, the greater the abuse. I, I can remember reading about a prison guard who, um, he was a Christ follower and, and wanted to be the best Christian he could be, but he honestly confessed. He said, I, I, I want my Christian faith to be strong. I want to follow Jesus, but I love the feeling of causing a grown man to wet himself in fear. It made him feel powerful. And power can be addictive. That's why we have bullies. That's why we have wars. Bullies in school, bullies at work, bullies in our neighborhood, bullies in our homes. People who like to exercise power and authority and strength over others. And, and the truth of the matter is, I think it's in all of us to a certain degree. Some handle it better than others. But you can put the nicest person in a position of absolute authority, and they will abuse it to some degree. It's just in us. There's something wrong with us. And some will do it more than others. We're not very good at authority. And that's why we find submission so distasteful. But this is not about authority in that sense. There's three things that we learn about submission from this passage of Scripture, from these first two, two verses. First, submission is a relational act. It's to do with relationship. It's not to do with authority. It's not about authority. It doesn't say... Woman, submit to men. This is relational. It's between a husband and a wife. It's not a general statement. Woman, you must submit to men. doesn't say that. It says very specifically, for wives, this means submit to your husband. So first, it's relational. Second, submission is a voluntary act. Wives, this means submit to your husbands. He's writing it to wives. He's not writing it to the husband. He's not saying, husband, make sure that your wife submits to you. He's writing to the wife. Too often it's interpreted, husbands, take authority over your wife. I remember talking to someone about this scripture one time, and he puffed his chest out and said, I have no problem doing that. I don't know if the divorce is final, but... <laughs> And sadly, I've known a lot of Christian men that see it that way. But that's not what it says. Wives, this means submit to your husband. It's addressed to the wife, not to the husband. And what she chooses to do with that is up to her. But it's voluntary. So it's firstly relational. Second, it is voluntary. Third, submission is a spiritual act. How is the wife to submit to her husband? As she does to the Lord. 
as she does to the Lord. So this submission is first relational, second it's voluntary, third it's spiritual. Christian submission is not something that is forced upon someone out of a position of authority. This is relational wisdom. It's a voluntary act, and, it, and, it, and it's spiritual in exactly the same way that we submit to Christ. Then he goes on. <laughs> For a husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the Savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husband in everything. Who's he writing to again? He's writing to the wife, right? He's not writing to the husband. He's writing to the wife. It doesn't say, wives, do anything and everything your husband demands. That's what I got written in mine. I show it to Sandra sometimes. I say, God has changed my version. <laughs> and this is as much about the husband as it is about the wife, but it's still addressed to the wife. It's still a voluntary submission. It's not an authoritative takeover. I'm the man of the house here. The little woman, she's here in support of me. So what does it mean? The husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. Well, Christ is the spiritual head of the church. That's his role. He is the spiritual head of the church. The husband is to be the spiritual head of the family, including his wife. That was God's plan right from Adam and Eve. And, and nowhere in the Bible does it say God changed his mind on this. Now, when it, it comes to relational wisdom, this is most certainly countercultural. It doesn't fit with our culture. And it can seem miso misogynistic. Can't even say the word. It's important to understand that it does not say a wife is valued less than a husband that she's somehow inferior to the husband. That's not what this Scripture says. This is a spiritual submission in exactly the same way all of us submit to Jesus. It's not a statement about woman. It's a relational statement about marriage. Christ is the spiritual leader of the church. The husband is to be the spiritual leader of the wife and consequently his household. He is responsible for the spiritual education, the spiritual well-being, and the spiritual direction of the household, not his wife. He is to be the example. He is to be the leader in all things spiritual. This is a responsibility the husband has been given by God himself. Now, I'm not God. I don't make the rules. I'm just giving you what it says. Unfortunately, it's a responsibility that many husbands have abdicated. I know so many households where the spiritual leader in the household is mom, is the wife. She's the one saying to the husband, can we go to church this week? Can we go to Bible study? Can we go to small group? Instead of him taking the lead that Jesus has given him and saying, hey, we're going to church this week. It's the wife praying with the kids instead of dad praying with the kids. It's the wife teaching children about Jesus instead of dad teaching kids about Jesus. doesn't mean that the wife cannot do these things. 
But it's his responsibility to lead these things. And too often, the woman of the house is, is doing the leading because the man of the house has abdicated his role. Now, wives, it's important. If you value your husband in this role, that you let him lead. I remember, I've shared this with you all before, years ago, Sandra and I were in a small group, and we did a study called His Needs, Her Needs. It was a pretty neat study, and we've done it a couple times. And, um, and, and what it does, it basically lists the five main needs of women, the five main needs of men, and the premise is real simple. Learn to meet her needs. If she learns to meet your needs, we're good. So we did a little thing. As, as we kind of set it up, we, we told each person to go away, and next week we'll come together and write down your, your five needs. What are your top five needs in this relationship? And something happened that I never expected, and I think it happened both times that we did it. When we got back, the number one need of every single woman in the group, in both groups, was, I want my husband to be the spiritual lead. It's number one. I never expected that. I thought it would be affection or I need him to listen to me. I want my husband to be the spiritual lead in my house. But it was a struggle for some woman because they got so used to being the spiritual lead that when the husband decided to step up and do it, she had a hard time yielding to him and, and, and letting him do it. So it's, it's a two-way street. But as I said, this is addressed to the wife, not the husband. This is a decision the wife makes. Now we get to the husband. Verse 25. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love in the same way husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. The two shall become one. No one hates his own body, but feeds and cares for it just as Christ cares for the church. And we are members of his body. As the scripture says, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. And the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but it is an, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. Now, I really believe, as difficult as it might be for wives to submit to their husbands in this way sometimes, I think it's just as difficult for a husband to love his wife in the manner that Christ lays out, that God lays out here. A completely sacrificial love. I think there are very few women that would have any problem submitting to a husband who loved her in this manner. Like, what's the big deal? This is a sacrificial love. It means that the husband sacrifices his well-being, his rights, his everything for his wife. 
No wives. Who wouldn't want that? It's a good deal, isn't it? Now, to, to, to love your wife in the way that Jesus loves the church. Now, think about what Jesus went through for the church. He was arrested. He was falsely accused. He was beaten. He was humiliated. He was rejected. He was mocked and executed in the most terrible way and most terrible circumstances. And he did it voluntarily. Not because he asked, had to or because he was forced to. Look at this in, in John ten eighteen, Jesus says, No one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily. For I have the authority to lay it down when I want to, and also to take it up again. For this is what my Father has commanded. At any time, Jesus could have stopped all of that whole sacrificial thing. He could have called in a legion of angels, but He chose not to for us. He had the authority to end it. There's that word authority again. He had the authority and the ability to stop the abuse. He had the authority not to submit. But he chose to submit. He chose to love. Why? Because he loved the church more than he loved the comfort of an easy life. He loved the church more than he loved his body. And he did it in submission to the Father. So that's how we're called to love our wives. Thoroughly sacrificial love. You ever heard the saying, love is blind? Yep. Wives, how would you feel if every time your husband looked at you, he saw you as radiant without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. That'd be a pretty good deal, wouldn't it? I mean, you'd be, that'd be a good deal. That means he sees you as beautiful on the inside and he sees you as beautiful on the outside because he's looking at you with spiritual eyes. He's seeing you the way Jesus sees you because this relationship between you and him is the same as this relationship between us and Jesus. And when Jesus looks at us, we are those who have accepted Jesus. He sees us without blemish. He sees us without sin. He sees us pure. You can submit to someone who sees you that way. That's not so hard. And that's the essence of all of this. And then Paul ties it all together with this statement at the end. He says, so I say again, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. That's the relationship that the husband and wife is to have. It's a voluntary giving. She chooses to submit. He chooses to love. I find it kind of interesting that, that Jesus, that, that the Bible doesn't tell women to love their husbands. One of the things I remember from the his needs, her needs thing, no man of the five needs that we all wrote down, I don't remember any single man putting love as number one. They needed respect. They wanted to be seen as the husband, 
It's in us. Problem is, it's too easy to abuse. So for the wife, there's this choosing to humble herself and submit to her husband in everything. That doesn't mean that she gives up her dignity. Doesn't mean she gives up her worth. Doesn't mean she quits thinking or having an opinion. Far from it. In fact, if the relationship is right, her dignity and worth should be increased. Her participation in the marriage should be increased. All of this stuff gets better. For the husband, it means choosing to put his wife first, sacrificially, to value her and hold her in high regard. That is relational wisdom. So he continues, children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord, for this is the right thing to do. Have you noticed, as I said in the beginning, that all of these things are dependent on the vertical relationship with God. Children, obey your parents not simply because they're your parents, but because you belong to the Lord. It's the right thing to do. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you, and you will have a long life on the earth. As parents, we brought them in. We could take them out. No, that's not what it means. <laughs> that's not what it means. The word honor is a good one. It means to affix high value to something, to see something as precious. It's like, wow, this is important to me. Uh, to, to, to think of it as something that is precious. That's how children are to view their parents. Wouldn't that be awesome? Wow, mom, dad, wow. You know, for little kids, it's kind of that way. They all, mommy, daddy. I mean, it, it's right there, right? Teenagers, hmm. It's a little, more, a little more challenging because they're becoming their own person. And all of a sudden, the authority of mom and dad is, is not something they value. They want to be free. They want to make their own decisions as long as you're paying for it. And adult kids? Hmm, maybe. I, I don't know about you. I know when I was little, I, yeah, mom and dad were on a pedestal. When I was a teenager, they were dumb. And then when I got to about 21, 22, 23, 24, they started to get smarter again. And then when I had kids, I realized how brilliant they were. Because <laughs> I'm in that boat now. And the irony is, it's funny how we all think we're so much better parents than our parents were. And our kids are going to be so much better parents than we were. And their kids are going to be so much better parents than they were. Everybody thinks they're a better parent than the generation before. But the principle here is very, very simple. Value this relationship and life will be better. Value your parents, and life will be better. Now, do we need to bring the kids and the youth in? We should have made them stay here for this bit, right? And then he goes very specific here. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Now, this is a good time for the kids not to be here. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. Now, dads love words. Sorry, I don't mean to look at you, Kevin. Now, dads, 
Now, dads enjoy words like discipline and instruction. We gravitate to words like this. You know, I remember learning years ago and, and seeing it. Typically, the mom values the relationship, and the dad values the rules. We have rules. I can't tell you the number of couples I've had, and I hear it over and over again. She'll say, he doesn't treat the kids very nice. He's too harsh, and he's too difficult. And he'll say, we've got rules, but what's the point of us having rules if nobody keeps the rules? And you hear it over and over again. And I think that's what Paul is addressing here. These are authoritative words, discipline and instruction. But what is the discipline and the instruction that comes from the Lord? Well, if you go back to the very first verse in this passage in Ephesians 5, it says, imitate God, therefore, in everything you do because you are His dear children. Okay, same relationship. Live a life filled with love. Following the example of Christ, he loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. What did Jesus say? As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Live a life of love. Treat your kids well. Teach them to be respectful by modeling it. Teach them to be loving by modeling it. Teach them to be honest by modeling it. Show them the respect and dignity that you want them to show you. You model it. Kids are difficult, especially teenagers. Oh, my gosh. I can remember there was a period of time, Rachel, our youngest daughter, there there was a period of time in our lives I could not say good morning to her without it being wrong. (laughs) Good morning, Rachel. (laughs) And I used to live in fear. I thought if... If I get old and she's looking after me, she's going to kill me. (laughs) Take me now, God. (laughs) And and what's so funny is I remember when she came around. I never, well, I may have changed because I remember Sandra having a conversation with me many times. You're the adult. Don't know what that meant, but... But as she got older, you know, she, she got a little wiser and she changed. And she went to Sandra one day and said, I don't know what's happened to dad, but he's changed so much. He's so much nicer now. It's like, yeah, one of us changed. <laughs> but it's difficult. And, and, and sometimes we need help with this kind of stuff. I know I did. You know, if your kids are constantly angry, you might want to take a step back and think that through. Why are my kids always angry? Now, sometimes it's got nothing to do with you. It's simple hormones and everything else. But sometimes it's the way that we're parenting. We need to take a step back and rethink how we're doing what we're doing. Maybe get some help from trusted and reliable sources. 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 This parent-child... Father-child relationship is to be handled in exactly the same manner as the husband and wife relationship. There's that voluntary submission and overwhelming love that fits together nicely, a, a giving over and a yielding. If the child honors and values the parent, 
and the parent treats the child correctly, that means that you lead rather than you drive. The shepherd versus a cattle driver. Jesus was a shepherd. That's a beautiful thing. But not easy. Now, the one thing all of these relationships require is a rock-solid relationship with the Lord. Because I know this. I cannot love my wife the way that Christ calls me to love her without the power of the Holy Spirit active and alive in my life. Because I don't have it in me to love in that manner. So I've got to get this vertical relationship right. That's what everything anchors on. Couldn't parent my children the right way without getting the vertical relationship right. If, the, if you're not living by the Spirit, none of the other stuff is going to work. She cannot submit to me in the way that she submits to Jesus without the Spirit being involved. So Paul finishes this section with something that's kind of difficult for us in these days. It says, Slaves, obey your earthly masters with deep respect and fear. Serve them sincerely as you would serve Christ. Try to please them all the time, not just when they are watching you. As slaves of Christ, do the will of God with all your heart. Work with enthusiasm as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will reward each one of us for the good we do, whether we are slaves or free. Masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Don't threaten them. Remember, you both have the same master in heaven, and he has no favorites. It's a difficult passage of Scripture. It's not condoning slavery, but that was the norm in those days. You know, the, the, the idea that, that one human can own another human has been around almost as long as humankind has. Fortunately, Christianity knows no bounds. doesn't matter what gender you are, what race you are, what culture you come from, what social or economic position you are. It's the same for everyone. It's equal for everyone. So Paul is addressing those people in this situation, let Christ shine in you in all circumstances. And I like the way he put it when he wrote to the Corinthians in Corinthians chapter 7. Can we go to the next slide, please? He said, are you a slave? Don't let that worry you. But if you get a chance to be free, take it. And remember, if you were a slave when the Lord called you, you are now free in the Lord. And if you were free when the Lord called you, you are now a slave of Christ. Same for everyone. Relational wisdom is all about allowing the Holy Spirit to guide and lead us in all of our relationships. So if you're not a husband or you're not a wife or you're not a parent, you're not a slave owner or a slave, that doesn't mean that none of this stuff matters to you. We are to submit to one another. We are to treat each other with respect. We are to care for one another. We are to love one another. That's why it began, submit to one another, because Christ is your Lord. It's 360 degrees. No matter what relationship, Christ should be shining in you. When my wife gets up in the morning and she looks at me, there should be something of Christ in there fear. (laughs) 
silence that man. <laughs> and like I said, the only way that we can honor God in all of our relationships is by staying close to God in all of our relationship. That means praying for the people that you relate to, even the difficult ones. So, let me close with this. Go back to the first verse we read, Ephesians 5.15. So, be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity. Every opportunity that comes to you to bring light into somebody else's life, to bring love into somebody else's life, to treat someone with respect, take that opportunity. doesn't matter who they are, where they are, or what mood you're in. Take the opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Amen? Amen. Okay, next week, we are having a birthday party for Jesus. So we're going to have a family service next week for those that that are going to be here, same time as normal. And uh, there's not going to be any child care. We're going to have the kids in here. We're going to have the youth in here. And we're going to have a big birthday cake for Jesus. No Sunday school. Everybody's going to be in here. We're going to have a, a family service. It won't be long but we're going to celebrate the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's next Sunday, usual time, 10.30. What announcements do we have? Youth Christmas party today. Oh, they're there. <laughs> Joy of giving. We've been doing a giveaway. And um, people have been giving money away to bring light into other people's lives. Somebody donated a sum of money. We said, go get yourself some of that money and go give it to someone. If you can, match it. So if you want to give away 50, if you want $50, add $50, now you've got 100 bucks to give away. We still have about $200 left. So if you'd like to be a part of that, if you go out in the foyer there, see Pat, she's got $200 to give to you to give to someone. You don't have to show her, I got $50. Just take the money and go give it away. Sound like a deal? Anyone here like to give away money? Anyone here like to keep money? Ooh, it's a tough one, isn't it? (laughs) It truly is a tough one, but that's what living in the Spirit is. Okay, 5 o'clock on Saturday, we're going to have our Christmas Eve candlelight service. Traditional service, no sermon. It's going to be all traditional music, and we're going to stand around here. We're going to sing Silent Night and send everybody off to Christmas. Then 10.30 Christmas Day service, 10.30 New Year's Day. If you need to get your giving in because you want your giving to be on this year's tax, get it to us before the end of the year by Wednesday, December 28th, if possible. We are closed on Thursday 22nd, Monday the 26th, Thursday the 29th, and Monday the the 22nd. I am closed right now. My phone is on Do Not Disturb. Because I'm going to watch that match, and I don't want to know the score. So if you know the score, do not tell me. If you do tell me, it's going on your permanent record, and you are going to be the subject of a sermon illustration. (laughs) That's just the way it is. If you're a guest visiting with us for the first time, somewhere in a seat around you, you'll find a card uh, that says, we'd like to get to know you. Fill that out. We're not going to bug you with anything. Do we have something they could put that in, Bob? 
your hand. Bob will be at that door. If you have a prayer request, you want someone to pray for you, in the seat around you, there'll be a card with prayer requests. You fill it out, give it to Bob. He'll make sure it gets to me or the prayer team. That's all I got for you today. I know the football game starts in 22 minutes, right? Five o'clock Saturday. Christmas Eve. I told him that. You should be paying attention, Mo. You're leading that. <laughs> candlelight. Remember, talk about candlelight. Wrong is he? <laughs> He's not going to show, is he? <laughs> Please stand. If I don't see you on Saturday and I don't see you next Sunday, you have a Merry Christmas. Heavenly Father, we just thank you. Um, I know today's message can be difficult, this whole subject of submitting. It's not really a very Christmassy message, but it is. Because it's about love and it's about relationships. It's about caring for one another and being the people that you've called us to be. So, Father, I pray for each and every one in here today that, that we would seek you in every relationship. Father, where we have difficulties, would you just break down the barriers, open up the doors, bring the conversations out that need to be had. Soften our hearts, open our ears, and silence our tongues where we need to be quiet. Father, bless us as husbands and wives. Bless us as moms and dads. And just bless us as Christians. So that as we leave here, we can be a blessing to everyone we meet. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. Thank you all for coming. Bye-bye.